So we are continuing in our Lenten series. Uh, my hope, if you've been around a little bit, you know that we are trying to study the Gospel of John. Um, and my hope is that you're reading along with me. Uh, so if you will look at the front of your weekly, I have your homework assignment for this week. Uh, we're going to be reading John 19, 20, and 21. It's the last three chapters uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, it's the part of John's Gospel where we get the crucifixion. Uh, and the Resurrections, which is a great thing to read uh, Holy Week as we lead up into Easter. And so I invite you to read along as we, we explore the way that John gives us and the information that we're able to get uh, from, from the Gospel of John. And it's hard sometimes as you read the Scripture to be able to differentiate. And we'll talk a little bit about that this about that today is, is how John records the Gospel versus uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Today we celebrate in the church uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, it is the day, it's the reason all the palms here, it's the day that we celebrate Jesus' entry uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, and the last couple of weeks we have been talking a lot about this image that Jesus teaches us that we get uh, in the Gospel of John that we don't get in the other Gospels. The washing of the disciples' feet and the, and the servant attitude and giving your life for other people. All of that occurs uh, in the Gospel of John and it all occurs in Jerusalem. So Jesus has already made it to Jerusalem when this happens. And so in order to read John's version of the, uh, the entry into Jerusalem, you got to go back to John chapter 12. And so I'm going to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 12. And if you want to use the pew Bible that's in front of you, you can go to page 100 uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and that will be John 12, and we'll start in verse 12. And we get through, I'd invite you just to leave your Bibles open because we're going to stay in the Gospel of John uh, for the entire service this morning. Uh, so John chapter 12, and we will read in verse 12. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And then in verse 17, it says, The crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were testifying about him. That's why the crowd came to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign that he had done. Therefore, the Pharisees said to each other, See, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world is following him. Amen? Amen. What John tries to give us throughout his gospel, John tries to show us um, that Jesus is king. And so we get this part where he enters into Jerusalem and they use the palm branches to wave because in the Old Testament when a king would go and the king would battle, when they came back to town, people would wave palm branches. And so when it was a sign of, you know, a victorious combat that they had come back into town as they were entering in. And so we get this image of king even from the very beginning. But John makes it very clear that Jesus is not just simply king of Israel. Because what he says, their response is, the whole world is following him. So Jesus is not just king of Israel. Jesus is king of the world. And you see that early on in John's gospel. And then you get these different facts that come up as you watch John take Jesus from being arrested and through the trial and then ultimately crucified. You see John shows us different things in order to help us get a different understanding of Jesus and the cross. Um, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke write different. We've talked a little bit about that each and every week. Uh, if I were to ask you what you know about the arrest of Jesus, if you know about the, the, the trial of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, you're going you're gonna to probably blend the stories. It's what we all typically do. So you know a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And so probably, if I were to say, tell me something that you know, you're going to talk a little bit about the suffering of Jesus. So you may have heard that Jesus agonized as he made his way through being arrested and uh, the trial. So you hear that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he, he struggled. He asked for the cup to pass. If there was a way for, if there was another way through this, for, for, but, but ultimately he did say, but not my will, your will be done. But there was a struggle. He, he even, it says in the scripture that, that his sweat became droplets of blood. And so we hear this picture of, of suffering and a picture of agony as Jesus makes his way to the cross. That's all in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You don't see any of that in John. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to just try, if you can, as hard as it is, I want you to put aside what you know, and I want you to listen to John. Just listen to John's gospel as I read it in chapter 18. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. It says, after he said these things, Jesus went out with his disciples and crossed over to the other side of the Kidron Valley. He and his disciples entered a garden there. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus often gathered there with his disciples. Judas brought a company of soldiers and some guards from the chief priests and Pharisees. They came there carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus knew everything that was to happen to him. So he went out and asked, who are you looking for? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was standing with them. When he said, I am, they shrank back and fell to the ground. See, what you get is Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on the suffering because they're showing us the humanity of Jesus. John focuses on the divinity of Jesus. We've looked and we've watched as we've made our way through John. John. John talked about I am, how God revealed himself. His personal name for himself was I am. And how, how Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the true vine. So Jesus calling upon the very personal name of God, we're seeing the divinity of Jesus played out in John's gospel. And so what you see is he tells us there's a company of soldiers. Scholars would say that's about 600 soldiers who make their way to arrest Jesus with all the weaponry that's needed. Think about that, 600 to arrest one man. And Jesus goes to them. Did you hear that in the story? Jesus goes to them and says, who are you looking for? He's not, he's not staying back. Jesus is the Nazarene, and he says, I am. And when he says two words, it says the whole company of soldiers shrink back fall down. Do you see that? Do you see the power that this king that John is showing us has the ability to cause fear in his enemies with just the words that he speaks? Two words. I am. From the very beginning, you see that Jesus is in control, that Jesus knows what he's doing, that Jesus has all the power, but he doesn't use his power for himself he lays down his power 
for others. Look at verse 8 in chapter 18. Jesus answered, I told you I am. If you're looking for me, then let these people go. So you already see him giving his life in exchange for other people. And he is willing to suffer. He's willing to die because he knows that it is his blood that brings salvation to the world. And so he's willing to lay himself down in order to save the world. And then you can watch as John tells us the story. He continues to tell us piece by piece, little bit to help us understand this king and this kingdom that Jesus brings to the world. When you're reading this week, if you read, go back and read 18, but read 18 and 19 together because you get this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate represents all the authority of the world. He represents the Roman Empire. And for, for that time, he was all of the authority of the world. And so he represents that. And so there's this exchange between Jesus and Pilate. And in chapters 18 and 19, they talk about kings and kingdoms 15 different times. Anytime you see that much repetition, there's a point there that John's trying to express that Jesus is king and that he has brought a new kingdom into the world. Now, Jesus doesn't say, I am king, but he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So he tells us that his kingdom, his values, his, his way of living is different than what the world says. And so he has brought a new kingdom in. And then just before Pilate condemns Jesus to death, we're told that all of this takes place on the preparation day for the Passover. So that's the day that the Israelites would have gathered. They would have taken their animal. They would have killed it. They would have prepared and roasted it in order for the Passover meal. Listen to what it says in chapter 19, verses 14 through 16. It says, It was about noon on the preparation day for the Passover. Pilate said to the Jewish leaders, Here's your king. The Jewish leaders cried out, Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate responded, What? Do you want me to crucify your king? We have no king except the emperor, the chief priest answered. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Now in the other three gospels, what we get is that the Last Supper occurs as the Passover meal. But did you notice this? John puts Jesus dying on the preparation day for the Passover meal. So let's not assume that we all know what the Passover is. So Passover, if you go back and look in the, in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and uh, the Pharaoh, uh, and God says he's going to get the Pharaoh to let them go, and so he sends plagues upon the land. And one of the plagues that he sends is the, the plague of the, the, the angel of death. It's going to angel of death is going to come through the land. It's going to kill the firstborn of all people, Israelites and Egyptians. But the Israelites are told, if you'll take the blood of the, sacrifice, the animal and sacrifice and put it on your doorpost, that when the angel of death comes through, the angel of death will pass over your house. And that's exactly what happens. So the angel of death comes through. The Egyptian children, firstborn children, are killed. But the Israelites are saved and Pharaoh releases and, they brought, and it brings about freedom. And so the Israelites gather together every year to remember what God did as he passed over their house and to remember that God is a God who brought them freedom and delivered them from their enemy. So we have this Passover meal. So the fact that John takes the story and puts Jesus being condemned to death in the middle of the preparation day is very important because John wants all of us to see very clearly 
that Jesus is the Lamb of God to bring about freedom and deliverance for us. John's very clear in what this is. And so we can look at this and go, okay, wait a minute, but it just it's different than what the other gospels say. How do we reconcile that? And I wished I had you an answer. How do we reconcile the discrepancy? But for me, the answer is John, if you remember, John's not trying to write you a historical narrative. So he's not trying, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke are doing that. He's not trying to get everything in a linear time frame. For John, it's important that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you trust in Jesus Christ. And that by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, you'll have the joy that life, that, that God desires for you. And so for John, it's not historical accuracy of how these things work. He wants you to see the importance of who Jesus is and that Jesus is the Lamb of God for you and for me. That's what matters to John. So all of these details make a difference in how we understand Jesus and the cross. If you keep reading in the story, you'll notice that John tells us something different about just how even Jesus approaches the cross. Look at verse 17 in chapter 19. It says, carrying his cross by himself, he went out to a place called Skull Place in Aramaic, Golgotha. Now, again, if you know anything about the story, you might think, okay, well, Matthew, Mark, somewhere along the way, I've heard that somebody else carried Jesus's cross. Simon of Cyrene, they tell you that for a different reason. John omits that detail. It's very possible that both carried the cross, but John omits that detail because he wants you to see the strength of Jesus, that Jesus carried his own cross, that Jesus chose to carry his cross for you and me, that he made his way to the cross. Now, he goes on to tell us, John does in this story, that they put a sign above Jesus' head. Let's look at that in verses 19 through 22. It says, Pilate had a public notice written and posted on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for this place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Therefore, the Jewish chief priest complained to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Again, John gives us this detail, the fact that the sign is written in Aramaic, Greek, and Latin for a reason, because those were the languages of the Roman Empire. Those were the languages of the world. Again, remember, go back to what he talked about. The whole world's following him. He wants us to see that Jesus is not just king of the Jews. Jesus is king of the world. Jesus is king for everyone. Jesus has embraced this way of being a king. He's embraced this way of being a king because he knows that it is his blood who is going to save us. He knows that it is his blood that is going to bring life to us. So Jesus has chosen this. And then John drives this home detail, I mean, this detail home by the fact that he sits there and adds one more element because what he says is right before Jesus dies, that they give him a sponge of sour wine or, or vinegar. And they lift it up to him on a hyssop branch. Now that may seem like a minor detail to us, but for John it's significant. Because see, the hyssop branch was important to the people of Israel. Remember back to the story of the Passover? When they put blood on the, blood, on the doorpost? You know what they put that on with? A hyssop branch. 
And it tells us that they used a hyssop branch in the purification rites within the church. So listen to what it says in Psalm 51. It says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So it's right before he dies, he is, he is given something to drink with a hyssop branch to help us to see that it is Jesus who refines us. It is Jesus who purifies us. Not only does he forgive sins, he cleans us. He brings salvation to the world. Everything in John's gospel is pointing us to Jesus being king and not just king, not just king of Israel, but king of the world. Now, we finally get to his last breath. We'll gather on Good Friday. We will reflect and it's hard to say celebrate, but celebrate uh, the death of Jesus. John records it in a little different way. And so let's listen to his uh, final breath of Jesus or the final utterance of Jesus in chapter 19 verse 30 it says when he received the sour wine Jesus said it is completed bowing his head he gave up his life many times you've heard it say it is finished and this is where we often cross over the two stories because we read that as almost a a sigh of defeat it's finished But actually, if you go and look at how it's translated, it's actually a sign of victory. Think about it. One one author wrote, Bishop Willow Willeman wrote a commentary on it and said, think about it like what Michelangelo would have said when he finished the Sistine Chapel. That's kind of the emotion that would have been. Today, a modern analogy, I used a, a March Madness analogy last week, so I'll use it this week as well. Imagine if your team is at the very last second Uh, Your team, somebody shoots a half-court shot for three points to win the game at the very last second. That's the emotion that Jesus says when he says it is completed. It is finished. God has won. And God has not won with force. God has not won with military strength. God has won with love. It's a statement of victory. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus gave up his spirit. John's wanting us to see that Jesus is in a position of strength, a position of control, a position of assurance, a position of boldness, a position of confidence as he approaches the cross. All of that is in the the gospel of John. What leads us to ask this question, which is what I think John would want you as you read his gospel, he would want you to ask, which is, is Jesus your king? See, he doesn't tell you these details just so you can stop and go, wow, that's really neat that John records it differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wants you to ask the question, is Jesus your king? Is he king of your life? Listen, as we approach Easter, I want you to hear this. You can be in church your whole life. You can be in church your whole life and never made Jesus your king. And if, if, we're, if we're real, that's what, that's what John would challenge you to stop and say, is Jesus king of my life? Pilate was given that opportunity. The story shows us Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate knew that Jesus shouldn't have been crucified. But Pilate gave in to the easy way. What was just expedient in the moment. 
Pilate gave in to what other people thought about him. Do you take the easy way? See, making and claiming Jesus as king, it does mean that things have to change in your life. You're going to do things different. You're going to treat people differently. You're going to have a different focus. But it's necessary. And it's a blessing. We have to claim Jesus as our king. Do you? See, sometimes what we do is we, we, we think of the cross, and I've said this before, we think of the cross as, as a mathematical equation. If we sin, Jesus dies, we're forgiven. And there certainly is in that. There certainly that is, is in the cross. But, but John is showing us that it's more than just a mathematical equation, that the cross is a message from God. I mean, I look at the cross and, and it is a message from God that he loves you. When I feel unloved and when I feel unworthy, I can look and reflect upon the cross and I can remember, you know what, that God tells me that I'm worthy, that God tells me that I'm loved. And so there's power in the image and the message of the cross. See, so many of us, we're going through situations and so what we resonate with is we resonate with the humanity of Jesus. We like, or not like, but we, but, but we can relate to Matthew and Mark and Luke because Jesus suffers and we're going through hellish situations sometimes in our life. And so we, we can resonate with a Jesus who, who suffers and agonizes and goes through something uh, uh, terrible because we can relate to that. And the fact that Jesus suffered um, and promises to be with us in our suffering, that's a part of God that we can appreciate and we claim and we call upon. But folks, there are people in this church, there's people here in the sanctuary today that need to claim Jesus, John's picture of Jesus, the power of John, I mean, the power of Jesus' message. That, that Jesus has the power to change things. Do you see that? That's what John wants us to see. Not the humanity of Jesus, but the divinity of Jesus. That Jesus has the ability to change things. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. But it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. That's John's gospel. The power of God. Listen, I tell you, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And I said it to you last week, and I'll say it to you next Easter when it comes up, which is that, that more people will listen to your invitation right now, this week, than any other time to come to church. And I think you should go and invite people each and every week, but especially I think you should invite people this week. Not because I just think we need to get more people in the pews, but because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes people, changes their life, their direction, their focus. If you've got somebody in your family, somebody that you work with, and you sit there and go, you kind of almost write them off. Remember John's picture of Jesus at the cross, that, John, that, 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 that Jesus has the ability to change a person's life. And so it should burden us, literally burden us, that people don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
There is power for people to be healed. There's power for marriages to be restored. There's power for families to come back together. There is power for forgiveness of, of, of hurt feelings. There's power for, uh, for love to be able to conquer uh, hate. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as the church better begin to claim the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just the humanity of Jesus that we can relate to. Folks, we can look at around our world and we can see very evidently, we can see the darkness that exists in our world. Jesus Christ has the ability to change our world. Do you believe that? He has the ability to change our world. Let's share that. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for John's gospel. We thank you for the reminder today that you are a God of power. And folks, I, I mean, and God, I know that there are folks in this, in this church right here today who, who need to be reminded that you are powerful, that your word has the ability to, to change people, to change us. That you, that you have the ability to, to bring about healing. That you have the ability to, to move in people's hearts. That you have the ability to take someone who is full of hate and anger and fill them with love and generosity and thankfulness. Help us as your people to claim your power. You are an awesome God. And we praise you. And I pray God for any single person in this room who does not know you as king, may they not leave today without knowing you as king of their life. And help us to live out our lives reflective of you being king of it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen, amen.